Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. Offering an abundant selection of fresh, high-quality, diverse fruits and vegetables is a top priority for most grocers, given that produce is often a key driver of overall storefoot traffic. But according to a recent survey, staying stocked is also a top pain point for many retailers. Nearly 40% of buyers say they struggle to find consistent growers from whom to purchase, and 41% say they have trouble sourcing enough supply, according to a survey conducted by Produce Pay, which is on a mission to create a more connected and sustainable produce supply chain. Retailers are not alone in their frustration, according to the survey. About half of growers also report difficulty connecting with consistent buyers, which 45% say is stunting their business growth because they're unable to expand and diversify their portfolios. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Produce Pay CEO Pat McCullough shares how the ag fintech company is recreating and shortening global produce supply chains to address these pain points, as well as reduce food and economic waste. He also explains how Produce Pay is adding much-needed transparency to produce supply chains and more equitably splitting financial risk across the value chain so that each stakeholder can more quickly and fairly achieve their goals. A common thread uniting grocers and growers in their frustration around finding reliable partners is the price volatility of produce, which swings wildly based on the growing cycle, weather, global supply and demand, and other macro trends. McCall explains that this challenge is compounded by highly fragmented analog produce supply chains and a lack of planning foresight, which favors spot markets, an inherently unreliable option that further complicates future long-term planning and ultimately stifles business growth. In the grocery store, our understanding is that produce and meat and poultry are the highest customer-satisfying parts of the grocery store and also the most prone uh, areas to be used as excuses for switching. I also understand the margins on produce are amongst the highest in the grocery store. So if you can imagine, the cereal boxes are a commodity. They're all the same. It really comes down to the fresh stuff that's a differentiator and where most shoppers decide to, to make, a, make a choice. Um, this is an analog industry in 2023. It's crazy because we think this industry globally is as large as $1.5 trillion dollars. And it is still analog, and it is still push supply. And I think my, my hunch as to how we got ourselves here has to do with the perishability of produce, because leafy greens perish in a matter of days, um, and apples and, you know, uh, let's say grapes have to be gassed in a conventional environment to, you know, not perish, you know, more quickly. We find ourselves in a world where, There are these open market concepts. The spot market is too large for the design of this industry. So I believe the supply and demand volatility on average is probably 10 to 15%, which means you should only have a spot market sized at 15% of the industry. 
our spot markets in produce are 30 to 40% of given commodities. So, you know, the, the design of how business and commerce happens is the problem. Well, why is this design so fractured? And it's because entities, you know, foreign entities importing to the U.S. have found they can't trust or see or know what happens to their produce and what happens to their invoice and how and when is it going to get paid and will there be a deduction applied. So because there's a lack of trust there, this industry hasn't grown with large corporates doing business together, relying on each other's relationships and past performance to be able to trust going into a multi-year deal and performing to it. Now, of course, we do have some curveballs that can hit produce like weather, like disease, or like an E. coli breakout in spinach. And these things obviously send the industry reeling when they happen, and you can see volatility of five to ten times you know, pricing in either direction depending on uh, the event that's happening. Um, so our view at Produce Pay is if we can show the big retailers the benefit of planning their future produce supply, we're going to be able to finance new land, new planting with specifically first rights for the retailer that gave us the volume and price commitment. And then we'll be able to deliver the retailers what they actually want, which is the right stuff at the right time at the right price and right quality. Um, today, the poor retailers, in some extent, are going to the open market realizing I can't get the tier one grade A produce I want. You know, I need to run a marketing campaign. I need to do something different. I need to take a margin hit. And <clears throat> I can't serve my customer. McCullough recognizes that retailers can't predict with 100% certainty how much of each fruit and vegetable they'll need for the full year, let alone five years, because consumers' whims and trends move so quickly. But he argues they can predict a core programmatic buy based on consumers' most common and consistent purchases. And while daunting, taking this step would allow farmers to adjust their production to better meet that demand. I think there's a core programmatic buy that everyone knows they need. And then what you're thinking about is that extra bit. And if you, if you decided last year, you know, I did 100, you know, cases of blueberries. And the year before, I did 95 because blueberries are a growing commodity. You might not want to commit to 100 next year. You might want to commit to 70. And then go to the open market, go to a, a closer uh, let's say, programmatic buy versus a multi-year. But there's some core portion of the purchase that does need to become a more organized, more professional uh, commercial agreement. And in very few cases are any retailers going two years out right now. So the idea of going five years out, which is the time period you'd need to get a cash-on-cash -cash return for acquiring land or leasing land and planting a new table grape vineyard, you know, that you're only getting full commercial production in the third year. So you really need to get to year five to have a return. So if retail can't step up and show certainty to that return, uh, there's a problem. And if they want what they're asking for, they can control that outcome, but it re requires being strategic and being multi-year forward-thinking business people. So that's Produce Pay's intent, is to drive this industry, all the verticals there. 
To help growers and grocers meet in the middle, Produce Pay has created a digital marketplace that directly connects both sides and addresses their top concerns. Produce Pay set out to solve a couple problems. Um, the first problem was there is a tremendous amount of inefficiency and waste in both the produce industry but also the distribution end of how things get commercialized, bought, and sold. Um, today, we understand that 40% of harvested produce perishes before it's consumed or processed. And we believe there's another 20% beyond that 40 for a total of 60%, six zero, um, of waste in the system due to um, inefficiencies, speculators, arbitrage houses that are non-value add inside the distribution system. Um, the second problem we set out to solve was uh, two-thirds of the produce that's consumed in the U.S. is imported from Latin America. And the Latin American farmers are not treated in, let's say, a fair, open, transparent, um, trusting way. There's random deductions taken off of their consignment shipments. There's price and terms negotiations where they're taken advantage of because their buyers are offering them the working capital that's needed. Most importantly, the farm holds weather, disease, and global supply and demand, i.e. pricing risk, through the entire vertical until it finally physically gets received at a grocery distribution center where a retailer will sign off and, and assume those risks at that point. So it, it needs a, this industry needs a risk-sharing model that doesn't exist. It needs efficiencies that need to really be incorporated through the redesign of the industry, which leads me to what ProducePay does. ProducePay is attempting to connect the retail grocer directly with the farm through one intermediary instead of four to six that exist in most produce um, verticals today. Um, we're doing that through commercial agreements, with financing, with um, efficient transportation and quality information so that counterparties can, um, you know, uh, really receive that value and, and, and connect directly. But the, the big idea for us is let's create transparency from beginning to end you know, most markets in produce are made through spot open markets where maybe the Mexican growers, of the, take grapes as an example, all sell into an open market where brokers go buy and consolidate. We lose a traceability of where those grapes came from by the time they hit the U.S. and get sold into retail in generic bags or clamshells. Um, we don't know where they came from. And there were some extra arbitrage speculators in between. We're working against those guys. We're trying to get anyone who doesn't add real value to the U.S. consumer out of the, the vertical. And we're doing that through redesigning commercial agreements between retail, one distributor partner, and uh, our farms. So we're not trying to dislocate distributors. We're trying to dislocate three out of four distributors that don't add value. We, we're finding, and, and I'll give you an example um, with one vertical, we found the premier distributor who's first or second place in size with three of the biggest household names in retail, three of the top four. And they came to us and said, 
we think we need you because you have access to supply. We're oversold. Retail is telling us they want to consolidate distribution and marketers for the benefit of the consumer. And the reason why is quality control and brand recognition create a more loyal customer, which you've probably seen in um, PPG as well. Um, and we're able to do that because of our leverage with the farms because we've become their trusted partner, advancing them capital and providing trade protection and access to customers and markets. So because of that role with our farming customers, we're able to deliver select distributors, meaning the, the really good ones that have pack and ship facilities that really take quality control seriously, but also have 30-year relationships with the, the big retailers that we don't have as an eight-year-old company. Um, and we're partnering with those types so that we can ensure direct shipment from a farm to that distributor for quality control and maybe marketing and then directly into to retail. We have several examples where we've connected that investment grade you know, retail balance sheet to the financial structures we're creating. That is a first of its kind type of structure. But I think most importantly, we're listening directly to retail and through our distributor partners, their you know, 30-year relationships um, at retail. And retail is telling us, and I'll use grapes again as an example, retail wants more of specific varietals. Okay, they like the, the sweeter uh, table grape varietals. They can't get enough of those. There's not enough planted in the world. They want 12-month matching of supply to their demand. They're not receiving that today. So retail has a role in, in changing that because the solution to that problem retail's identifying is planting more of the right things in the right places on the right rootstock if we think about grapes. So our intention is to tell retail, okay, we can deliver exactly what you want, but we need you to give us multi-year commitments on price and quantity and spec so that we can create, call it a bankable land expansion, new planting, new breeding regime. Um, and, you know, that takes capital and it takes time from a return on investment. And retail to date has been unwilling to give that type of take-or-pay commitment um, do the, the downstream parties that can make that go. But we have a couple schemes, and frankly, we think we're in a position of leverage where we're going to convince one or two retailers to do that. And we think once we get that accomplished, we have not done that yet, the other retailers will fall in line, and they'll realize, oh, to be competitive, to have that better grape varietal at the right time of the year, like if you notice in the U.S., during April and early May, the South American season had ended early with supplies in our winter. The Mexican season had come on late, and the retail market was starved for table grapes. We, they weren't available in the United States. So what ended up happening was the Mexican season came online and prices started at $53 a box. They'll end the season well under 10 you know, probably well under $5 a box. So that just shows you the volatility, the complexity of managing, you know, 52 weeks a year supply of what the U.S. consumer is asking for. Produce pay further reinforces farmers' ability to deliver through the introduction late last year of quick pay, the industry's first payment service that pays growers within 24 hours 
which allows them to avoid the so-called pick-and-pack arrangements where buyers run the cost of a grower's shipment in exchange for set prices that might come in under market rate. Produce Pay is also creating new market opportunities for growers, such as the introduction of a carbon offset program for primary crops that go beyond large securitized crops like wheat and soy in the U.S. and the forestry sector. Produce Pay's efforts to revolutionize produce supply chains and offer farmers more financial solutions are paying off, not just for the growers and grocers, but for the company, which recently broke through profitability after growing its market share from $750 million in 2020 to $2.5 billion in 2022, an additional 200% in the first quarter of 2023. McCullough adds that produce pay's success is also a proof point that doing good for the planet is good for business. This is a big year for us. We'll grow the top line over 100%. We're confident in that at the, the midpoint. And we just broke through profitability. So we're now in a, a very strong position. Um, we had always made money on the individual capital advances, but we were putting a lot of overhead into technology and ensuring that there's a digital environment which is easy to scale globally so that we can be an important player to really clean up the waste in this industry. And remember, when we're talking about distribution waste in produce, that 60% economic waste that we view, that's all cold stored and refrigerated. So we're not just taking waste out, we're eliminating something that's very detrimental to the environment in, in terms of climate. Um, but yeah, the company is uh, growing quite well. We're hoping to advance a billion dollars in capital this year. Last year, we had gross merchandise value going through us of near $4 billion, 3.7. Um, and we advanced about $470 million of capital on that uh, GMV. So we're, uh, we're, we're becoming pretty important to the produce space. Uh, we're having a lot of success, and we are entering Europe this year and Morocco and South Africa as farming you know, operations that support the European market. Looking forward, the company is eager to build on this growth by expanding into Europe this year and eventually Morocco and South Africa as farming operations that support the European market. With that, we've come to the end of another episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another installment. And to help you remember, I encourage you to subscribe. Until next time, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive, profitable, and safe week.